I'll tell you, uh, the tuition thing is is very difficult. I left the party over it. Um, I did, yeah, did feel very strongly about it. Um, and I didn't rejoin until after the Brexit vote. So I, th I think we gave away far too much for too little. Welcome to Bristol Unpacked Local Election Special 2021. On May the 6th, Bristol will be going to the polls to elect people to run our city. The Bristol Mayor, all 70 local councillors, a police and crime commissioner and the West of England Mayor. I will be sitting down with the main candidates for Bristol Mayor, helping you decide who to lend your vote to in the race for City Hall. My conversations will be informed by cable readers who have contributed key topics and questions to our Citizens Agenda project. My approach is to be free-flowing, have a conversation to find out who they are, what they say they will do, and the political beliefs that guide them. Think less Andrew Neil, maybe a bit more Louis Farouk. I'll have a bit of fun with them along the way, find out a bit about them, and challenge them when necessary. Here goes. As the Conservatives changed their Bristol mayoral candidate at the 11th hour, so did the Liberal Democrats. Stepping down was Mary Page, and in step Dr Caroline Gooch, this week's guest of Bristol Unpacked. She is based in Stoke Bishop, works in the pharmaceutical industry, and is also standing as Westbury councillor. We talk to her about what she thinks could change in Bristol, what policies she would bring in, and why she's so keen to get rid of the mayoral role itself. Hi Caroline. Hello. How are you? I'm I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I can hear you jingling. Are you jingling a cup of tea? Are you making? Oh yes, yourself? that's my yeah. ring on my cup of tea. Sorry. <laughs> oh, is it? No, that's all right. It gives it the reality of uh, a lockdown living. Uh, obviously, that one of the, the big things about you sort of standing now that all nine candidates have been announced is that you are the only woman. Yeah. Is that a bit weird? Is it's a bit odd? We've only got one woman out of nine. It is a bit weird, isn't it? Um, I expected there would be at least two or three yeah. but but no and, it, and it's surprising considering if you look through the list of councillors that we've got there are a lot of women so yeah. it is very strange and no women in the metro mayor, metro no. mayor either yeah so you said in regards to men I, I don't know if i got the exact quote here that it tracks a certain type of ego egoic man or something <laughs> is that right something like I th yeah i think i think it's basically because the role itself is quite dictatorial and has a yeah. lot of power, for some reason women don't seem to, to want to go for it. And it's a, just a certain type of, I guess, yeah, your yeah. type A type macho man who sort of goes for it, I think. Who's, you know. <laughs> Have you seen that? Because you've done a few hustings now, haven't you? Or done a couple of hustings. Do the men seem sort of alpha males in those debates? Yeah, I think I think they do seem alpha males. Um yeah, <laughs> I think I think they are. I think they're they're all very very sure of themselves. Okay. I can't see a lot of the people who are councillors applying for it. Yeah, it's a different yeah. type of scrutiny, level of pressure. Kind of, you got to maybe like, as you say, you got to be a certain type of person. Would you count George in that ego category? Because he used to, he was a Lib Dem himself, wouldn't he? Back in the he was. 80s. You know what? I've never met George. I've been oh, promised not. that I would get to have a chat with him and maybe yeah. go for a walk, but we've, we've just never managed to set it up. So, you know, he left the party in order to run for yeah. the mayor because he felt 
he'd more likely get elected as a as an independent, independent than yeah. as a Lib Dem. So he obviously was quite confident. I mean, it was an interesting point you made, and it did make me think that, that yeah, I guess the role you have to be a certain type of, of, of person. Are you, are you counting yourself as being egoic, or, or, or are you saying you're not? You're, you're the one candidate that isn't. Well, I don't want to do the job. I don't think yeah. the job should exist. Yeah, yeah we'll get <laughs> on to that. Yeah, we'll get on to that because that's your chief kind of policy, isn't it? Which is to get away and uh, and do away with the role entirely. For those that don't know much about you as a person, you came to Bristol five years ago. So where, where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Sheffield. And I, I think it, it, it could almost be twinned with Bristol. It, it feels, yeah. you know, very similar. You chat to people on the buses and stuff. Yeah, consider yourself a proud Yorkshire lass then. I, I am, yeah. yes. I mean, Yorkshire, you know, won more medals in 2012 Olympics than Australia did. We're very proud <laughs> of that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, what, what made, why did you come to Bristol in the, when you, in the five years uh, ago? For, for work. Work, originally. okay. And that's in the pharmaceutical industry, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and you've you've worked for GlaxoSmithKline and AstraZeneca, which I is also the, yeah, the COVID vaccine now, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, I didn't work for AstraZeneca very long, um, and they were a very very nice company to work for. Really? Got a bit of a kind of, uh, I guess the pharmaceutical industry has a it comes with a bit of baggage as well, doesn't it? It's got a bit of a reputation of maybe being unethical in some places, or is that just a generalisation? Um. No, like all industries, I think it, it can be unethical. And certainly um, there were things happening 20 years ago um, that really shouldn't have been happening. Um, and part like, of like my what? role, like um, well, you know, doctors being taken to golf courses and, and stuff. Yeah. When, when you're thinking about how does your mum's doctor make the decision as to what drugs to put her on, you want him to make that decision or her based on the data. Oh, where you're saying it was based on a little bit of lobbying and cosy relationships. Yeah, and and, and that was yeah. that yeah. was the thing. That's what was happening, like the end of the last century. And yeah. really around kind of two thousand there there was a sort of a big change. So there has been controversy in that industry around yeah, drug trials in Africa and kind of you know, certain drugs that have had negative impact yeah. and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's basically sort of been part of my job as working in medical, of trying to um, improve ethical standards and try to work to the best ethical standards. So oh, that's your particular role that you that you do? Yeah. yeah. So uh, when okay. I, you know, when I first started, there were things that the marketeers wanted to do that, that yeah. we were like, no, we're trying to get away from you doing things like that. You're not supposed to be taking people to sports events I honestly think they're trying and I think um <laughs> to be fair I feel like I've jumped a bit from the frying pan into the fire because yeah. looking at politics politics is is way behind the curve for, for cleaning their act up really wow <laughs> yeah. that's an interesting thing so you think politics is far dirtier than the pharmaceutical industry oh yeah it's people yeah people just seem to want you to take a lot of stuff on trust if if I'm putting stuff out in the pharmaceutical company, you know, if if they're making a piece of literature to give to doctors about something, you have to reference everything and and as it should be. But you can put pretty much any claim on the literature that you send out to people in elections, yeah. and you'll have got a whole load of it coming through your door. Yeah, where's the fact checking? Sure. You know, we rely on you as journalists to do the fact checking. 
Yeah. But it's not inherent in the system. We've even seen this week, haven't we, with David Cameron's situation at, at national government about kind of lobbying and you're, you're into your rowing, aren't you? You, yeah. you were you were a cox for the Liberal Democrat parliamentary team. Is that right? Oh, no, 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 no. It, no. Was, for the, it was the MPs. It the was MPs. The House of Commons. It was the, well, the whole of the House of Commons. Wow. Yeah. How did that, how so did that do... come about? <laughs> so every year they do a parliamentary boat race. Yeah. And they have they have a series of races. And they invite various crews. So they have the House of Commons versus the House of Lords. So basically, they just say to the House of Commons and the House of Lords, who wants to do the rowing race? And you get yeah. a few people say they fancy a go. Yeah. Some of them have rowed or, you know, might have rowed 60 how years is your, How is your connection to, the, to, to Parliament to be able to, to get that gig then? What's your... Uh, I knew someone who was organising the race. Okay. Because I was a rower, um, yeah. so what they do is they change the coxes around and make sure that they actually know what they're doing. And for anyone listening that doesn't know what the cox is, it's the one at the end that shouts. The, one the, like, the little yeah. one at the back yeah, that shouts. The little shouts one at the back that shouts. You, you, so you, you, you spoke earlier about having an ego and being strong. You've got to be <laughs> quite an authoritarian person to be a cox, haven't you? <laughs> it's something that you develop, yeah. yeah. Well, I think the first time I got put in a boat, I was very, very meek. <laughs> yeah, I, what, what do you shout? What kind of things do you shout? Oh, what? So, so what, if give I me was... an example. Go on. So I'll pretend I'm rowing now. All right. Well, imagine uh, we're on the championship course like Oxford or Cambridge and we're yeah. rowing down the island in the middle of the race. I'd be like, right, we're coming to the island. I want 15 strong on the shoulders, shoulders, there, shoulders, there, shoulders, there. That's good. Now, Pope, sharpen on, on Pope, sharpen on three and four. Go. Three and four, sharpening on uh, five and six. Go. You're scaring so, yeah, me. I'm scared, that's the sort right? of thing. <laughs> that's, quite, that's, quite, that's quite intimidating I reckon, I reckon you could give all, all eight of those uh, egoic men that are standing for mayor uh, uh, you could just start well I could put them like all that. in yeah. a boat in fact I think that might be a fun thing to do yeah. <laughs> just get the other eight in a boat and I'll, yeah I'll that's great it. that's great right let's talk about why you stand so you've come in as a um a kind of late replacement from from mm. Mary Mary Page or just before yeah. Christmas so first a couple of questions on that for, for those that don't know why did Mary stand down and why have you put yourself forward or, you know, were you chosen? How did it work, the process? Um, so Mary had basically been doing the, the lead up to run for mayor sort of full time. She wasn't working. So she'd taken time off to basically run run the whole campaign, you know, run her whole campaign yeah. for, for a couple of years. And then obviously with COVID, the elections got postponed for a year. Yeah. And she was just looking at her finances going, this is impossible. I can't actually survive for a whole nother mm-hmm. year without working. Yeah. Because I think when, she, you know, when she decided to do it, she knew when the election was, she knew how much money she'd got saved up and she knew how much, you know, she'd budgeted and she could get to the election and then she'd either win it and have a job or she'd look for a job. Yeah. So by giving that, that extra 12 months, it, it, it just makes it really, really difficult for people. Sure. And obviously, you know, the people who aren't elected, if you're campaigning full time, where where'd your money come from? Yeah, it's true. Um, people don't really think about that, do they? Yeah, it's true. And I guess for yourself, would you, I mean, if you do win, are you, will you give up your, you know, give up your job? Because you've got, I think you've got to wait for three years, haven't you, until you can 
do away with the mayoral role. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, what do you do? I've only got because I'm only contracting. I, yeah. I can. I've only got two weeks' notice. Okay, right. And so, <laughs> how, who who chose you then? Did you did somebody say, "Come on, Caroline, you you can come and you can come and do this," or did you go right? I'll put myself forward. Um, well, Mary encouraged me to put myself forward. Um, yeah. I was going to be her agent. Oh, uh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, she she basically sort of said to me before Christmas, look, I'm, I'm uh, one of the jobs I'm applying for is civil service job. I might not be able to carry on doing the, the mayoral campaign. How would you differ? Are you a different character? I mean, Mary's quite, I would say, quite... Um, quite lively isn't she quite eccentric quite you know quite strong opinions are you similar are you different um I'm uh I think I'm probably slightly less eccentric but I'm still probably a little bit eccentric um (laughs) I'm possibly a little less confrontational uh and more kind of inclusive in my style more diplomatic yeah I'd like to think so, but I might yeah. need to work on it. Okay. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because I spoke, you know, that, that the stereotype of what a Liberal Democrat is, is probably someone that's quite sensible, quite kind of middle of the road, dare I say, mm. a, bit, or a bit boring. Would you say that? Would you say that 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 is how some people see the Lib Dems? Because I guess it's sort of in the middle between the sort of the right and the left. Yeah, but on the other hand. We're not very authoritarian, so yeah. we are quite, you know, we are quite liberal and any, anything goes. So we don't tend to be very judgmental. Um, so you do get people who maybe don't have, um, you know, normal, well, normal, no. Um, yeah. The lifestyles are not necessarily boring. Yeah, so. okay. okay. Who's your um, Liberal Democrat MP or politician who, who's somebody that's very much inspired you? I think I think um, Shirley Williams, obviously, and she, oh, she, she passed just, away oh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Shirley Williams, also known as Baroness Williams of Crosby, was a British politician and academic, originally a Labour Party member of Parliament. She served in the cabinet from 1974 to 1979, and she was one of the gang of four rebels who founded the Social Democratic Party, the SDP, in 1981. She joined the Liberal Democrats in 1988 and remained a member until she died on the 12th of April, 2021. So um, she was quite inspirational. I mean, my mum joined the SDP when when I was about eight, I think. Okay, oh, comes uh, in the family then, why? Yeah. yeah, and I used to go campaigning with her, and my my mum thought Shirley Williams was great. So, yeah. so I th- I think it sort of comes from there. Just generally, somewhere in the middle, and uh, you know, I'm I'm not anti-capitalist. I'm not anti-socialist. I think we should have mixed economic models. There are good and bad points of all sort of schools of thought. So, if if the end user doesn't have a choice and, and doesn't have a better choice and more value for money by it being privatised, then is there a better way of doing it? So, you know, things like rail, I always thought, wouldn't we be better off if we just had a nationalised rail system like we used to have, although British Rail wasn't that great. But it's it's not like when you get on a train, you've got a choice of operator. You go with the one you've got that's there, that's running that train. (laughs) 
So I don't see how the privatisation has actually helped the consumer. And we've got some of, you know, like the most expensive rail fares in the country. Because when you think about telecommunications, competition has been great. You know, phone calls used to cost a fortune when it was all run by the GPA. Yeah, monopolies, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Bristol. Yeah. Okay. And we'll, we'll come back to a little bit about um, the, the Lib Dems on, on the national scene and I think how that kind of it, – it's still probably still in a place of recovery a little mm. bit from being in coalition and, and how mm. um, winning back people's kind of faith and, and trust is probably quite key of the, of the new sort of project for Lib Dems moving forward. But in the context of Bristol, you know, as you said, your entire kind of focal point is hooked around getting rid of the mayor role. Um, so, you know, just really simply, why are you keen to do so? What is it about the mayor or you think it needs to go? I think it's simply that the amount of power that the mayor has to overall council, to take the arena as an example. So you've got one mayor decided to have an arena and the next mayor, even though it was ready to be built, then went, okay, I don't want to put it there, I want to put it somewhere else. And even though the entire council had voted to build the arena at Temple Meads, the mayor was able to go, I don't agree, I'm going to put it somewhere else. So that's fundamentally undemocratic for you yeah. as the Lib Dem, you, you feel, yeah? Yes, yeah, because and obviously everybody voted in for the mayor, but you don't know when you vote for them what decisions they're going to make down the line. And it's a very low turnout. It was obviously because uh, you've been quite critical of the Green Party for changing their policy at yeah. the national conference, weren't you? Their yeah. argument was when I interviewed Sandy uh, last week was that the the national policy is where a city has voted in a mayoral role, we will not get rid of the mayor, if that makes sense. So how do you kind of come back to that? Obviously, Bristol, yes, it was a very low turnout. But as it stands at the moment, when there was a vote for should we have a mayor, mm-hmm. Bristol did vote yes by a small margin. So they voted yes by a small margin. All we're saying is 10 years on, shall we have a check, have a have another vote? And if you want to keep the mayor, vote to keep the mayor. So it's So yeah, it's, so what's the mechanics of that? What are you gonna do? The mechanics do? of it yeah. is is the only way to to lose a mayor once you've you've voted them in is to have another referendum. Is that the same as what the Tories are doing? That's what the same as Alistair Watson's suggesting, isn't it? Yeah, which is which is strange because this mayoral thing was entirely the Tories' idea in the first yeah, David place. Cameron, David Cameron, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yes, it was George Osborne, and it was the Tories that were really pushing for it, and you know, and pushed to have a referendum in Bristol, and it was the Tories that went out and campaigned for it. Yeah. Um, so, and it so was it's, uh, so it's, yeah, yeah. It. I, mean, I think it's maybe yeah. There's a there's a another issue at play perhaps because it isn't national Tory policy. Um, mm. by all accounts is this national liberal democrat policy to get rid of all mayors yes it is okay yeah so in every every race you there is a candidate that's standing to get rid of the the, the, the mayor well not in not in london because london's a bit, a bit different well because it's kind of almost like a metro mayoral type position isn't yeah. It? yeah and i think yeah. i think liverpool would like to get rid of theirs anyway so and the main gripe of it is that you see it's the lack of the, the, the undemocratic system, the process, the fact that councillors, even if there is a majority, one person can vote against it. They can go against a democratic decision. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yet you belong to a political party that spent four years trying to overturn a vote of 70 million people to leave Europe. Not without another vote, though. 
What we actually wanted was a confirmatory referendum so that when we had an idea of what it was actually going to look like, because before the referendum in 2016, no one could actually put on the table what it was that the deal was going to look like. They just said it'd be the easiest deal in history. Yeah. And they also said nobody's talking about leaving the common market. Nobody's talking about leaving the customs union. But I think many people felt the Liberal Democrats' position, if you had voted to to leave, that was trying to, you know, over override a, their democratic vote, which was universally rejected at the general election, would you say? For, you know, the Liberal Democrats' position of a second referendum or a people's vote, whatever you want to call it. Um, well, I wouldn't say it was universally rejected because the Tories only got 43% of the vote. What percentage did the Liberal Democrats get? I can't remember. It's pretty low, wasn't it? I think it was one of the lowest, one of the poorest turnouts in any general election, but the poorest results for the Liberal Democrats. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great, but it also if I think if it had been proportional, we probably would have had about fifty seats. Yeah. Okay. So and that's and that's the key seats. thing, one of the key drivers of you, you just made the point around forty three percent in the first past the post system. Mm. Obviously Liberal Democrats, you're one of the real kind of drivers behind the party is around electoral reform. Yeah. So and that argument would be you know, if there was proportional representation, there was there was a majority collectively of left-leaning parties mm. that wanted to remain in the European Union. Mm. And Bristol is obviously quite, uh, I would say, on the whole, other than little pockets and sort of bubbles, is very much a, a remain city. Last time in the mayoral election, I think it was around 8,000 votes for the Liberal Democrats. Do you have in mind a sort of demographic of who you're trying to attract are you trying to pick up you know some of george's people who voted for george lapsed people perhaps labor voters that are maybe a bit cynical about the mayoral role now how about even you know there are seven thousand ukip folks i mean that's a bit, a bit of a, 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 a tall order but you know people that there probably are some people this is where it's going to get confusing caroline i think there are going to be some people that that voted brexit but want to get rid of the mayor mm. what are they what are they going to do are they going to vote lib dem well, Brexit's happened now, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's not much we can do about it. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably be making the case for rejoining the the customs union, if anything, because because trade's down and Northern Ireland troubles are starting up again. Yeah. So, uh, I, and yeah, I think this this was our problem with Brexit. There were all these issues that were were never really dealt with. Because it was put out as a black and white thing, you know, you're in or you're out. And it was never that simple. But obviously, you know, everyone was fed up of it all and, and wanted it all to go away. Again, yeah, it's never going to go done. away. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, for sure. I think it's kind of interesting, that sense of where there is a line with democracy. Where does one honour? Uh, because and that's one of the problems with proportional representation. It does let in, potentially far right parties for example you know ukip or the um mm. the brexit party would have actually done pretty well yeah um but in some ways also it lets the bigger parties fracture as well i mean one of the problems obviously what's happened is instead of having the brexit party having seats in parliament the conservatives have just moved to become the brexit party and all the one nation conservatives you know from 
times of, of yore are, are kind of a little bit homeless now. Just want to jump in there and say this is the third of our Bristol Unpacked mayoral candidate interviews, one to go, and we will be interviewing some of the independent candidates. If you do want to listen to more, then um, do look Bristol Unpacked, uh, stick in the search engine, and all the interviews are on there and other ones we've done before. And you can always join us on iTunes, Spotify, and any podcasters you're on. And also, if you'd like to become a member, you can. Bristol Cable is a cooperative and we have membership that you pay on a monthly basis, as much money as you want, a pound, five pound, ten pound, whatever, and you get to shape decisions that are made, what things we cover, why we do it and how we do it. So jump on board and find out more. Back to the chat. Well, I got off on a tangent here now. Let's bring it back. To, let's <laughs> we bring can, it we back. Can go yeah. down a right yeah, rabbit could. hole yeah, there. Yeah, we could. We could. <laughs> let's bring it back to to, um, to Bristol. Um, by getting rid of the mayor, okay, particularly as we go into this hopefully fingers crossed post covid world where we're all going to be affected economically and you know and the city uh, needs dare i say probably some stability and people are working together uh, if you're spending three years sort of with your eye off the ball and campaigning to win a referendum to get rid of the mayoral system are you not in danger of not investing your focus on what people need in the city in the here and now that's a really good question. Um, I think the thing is that the actual setting up of the referendum is actually it's quite straightforward. And if I was the mayor, I wouldn't be out on the campaign trail just spending all my time campaigning. I'd just make my position known and, and that would be it. And I would leave it up to other people in the party who don't have a role in the council to to do the campaigning um, so you would be still focusing on what you needed to I would do focus in those on, three years i would focus that's, on the job yes because because you have to that's yeah. i i would have been elected to do that so and and i'd be trying to work towards um more democracy so we we want to set up sort of parish councils as yeah. well within the um the, the city there would be you know a, a way of me trying to to basically delegate some of my decision making so that I'm not the one who's making okay. all the decisions so, but, you, so you have thought through it's not a case yeah. of right I, you know we're gonna have a referendum in, in three years and we'll just sort of buy you have thought through what you're going to do what policy change you can make in those three years before mm. hopefully you win a referendum and, and the mayoral system yeah. change I mean, in the those three years the referendum right. could come in the first year. Right. But you can't, but then, it can't be enacted until It uh, can't be enacted until yeah. 2024. Okay, right, okay. Even more so then, say you do win, uh, say you say you win the mayoral election, then you have mm-hmm. your referendum vote uh, year in and mm-hmm. Bristol votes to get rid of the mayor. Mm-hmm. Next two years, it's just going to be like when, you know, the supply teacher's in, isn't it? You're just going to have your feet up, relaxing. <laughs> no? Oh, oh, no? No? We, you still have to, you still have to run the council, and the and the legal yeah. setup will still be as it is now. But it, obviously, because I'd be trying to move towards a much more democratic system, I would be trying to delegate stuff. Yeah. Would you get rid of the one city system at the moment? The one city boards that the current mayor has set up. Would you do something different? If um, only if I felt that it wasn't working and it needed changing. Do you have an idea if it does at the moment? I mean, oh, the problem is I'm not in 
in the council to yeah. see how everything's working. And when you read the one city thing, I mean, it reads like a manifesto and it, and it sounds glorious. Um, I need to see, I need to be inside and see exactly really in practice. Yeah. Is it, is it working? One mm-hmm. thing I noticed you've been very proactive and visible on is the send mm-hmm. uh, situation in Bristol. Yeah. So send stands for special education needs and disabilities. Just tell me a bit about that. Why are you so yeah? Why are you, why are you so passionate? And do you, do you feel that's one of the sort of big errors and the big mistakes that the current regime have undertaken? Yeah. Well, I mean, send is pretty poor generally across the country. Yeah. Um, I've had friends who've really struggled um, for help with their autistic children, um, and I've got friends in Bristol who are really struggling to get help for their children but they say that the Bristol situation is a crisis within a crisis it's especially bad here and you think as well you know what's happening with these kids at the moment is that they're being homeschooled yeah and they will continue to be homeschooled because there's nowhere for them to go and think everybody listening who's had to homeschool their children who's been tearing I mean even my friend who's a junior school teacher has been tearing her hair out of having to homeschool her own child because it's not the same as as it is teaching in the classroom yes I mean it's it's certainly something that is um yeah I interviewed Helen Godwin on this show uh a couple of months back and I think even by their own admission, but you know, I asked her directly, "Do you see it as one of the biggest failures?" And she kind of reluctantly said yes. So I think mm. that, I think there is there is a, probably a, a sense of of even almost accepting that it's something that massively needs to improve in the city. So what would yeah. you do to improve it? Well, I mean, ideally, I think I think we we might need to to build a new school. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know. Marvin Reese has said that he'd ideally have all the children integrated into schools. But the I think the problem the parents are facing is that a lot of the, especially the academies, don't really want to provide the provision. And then for some children, their care plans actually say that they do need to be in a separate, a separate school and they won't cope in a mixed ability school yeah, and that's the current sort of doctrine around this is that actually people do need specific targeted kind of education and i think it was received as quite an odd statement at the time by the mayor that kind of integrate into the mainstream i think that's something that happens at the end of the process i'm going to read out to you now some of the um some of the questions as you know because i've asked you for, for questions for the other candidates we ask the other mayoral candidates to ask a question uh, i'm going to read the first one to you from alistair watson from the conservatives so he said, now that the question of membership in the EU is resolved for a generation, what defining policies set the Liberal Democrats apart and worth voting for? Um, oh, I would argue it's not settled for a generation. Okay. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think there might be in five years' time, people might be clamouring for a different... Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, I think we just want a fairer system. That's what we're, we're trying to work towards. Uh, certainly Ed Davey, since he's come into the leadership, his vision is of uh, a fairer, more caring society. Yeah. And I think, I think after, yeah, after five years of, of ding dong and hating each other over Brexit mm-hmm. and then 
you know, all that we've been through with COVID and what we've learned and how, you know, everyone's sort of come together and been providing a lot more sort of community care and looking after their neighbours. And I think maybe there is a bit of space now for us to to reflect that, that yes, we do want that and we do want, you know, better funding for the NHS and, and we do want better um, care provision for the elderly. So a kinder, a kinder softer kind of a politics. A kinder, yeah. softer, yeah. yeah. Okay, the Greens, uh, Sandy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Sandy Hall Riven. Who will you give your second preference vote to? <laughs> Good question. Well, that's true. Yeah, I've got two votes, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it probably would be Sandy, to be fair. Would it really? Oh, okay, okay. Did you set that one up with it? I mean, and, and off the back of that, who would mm. you advise for you to win? Who do you need people to vote second for, other than you? What would what would be the strategy? What would you advice would you give to the voter? Oh, uh, I don't think I want to get into that. Um, no. I, but we'll be, I, yeah. I mean, honestly, to try and try and do the maths on that would be quite difficult. Yeah, it's complicated. The advice is because you've got the two votes, and normally, you know, with the one vote, people feel they have to do a tactical vote. Yeah. So really, the second vote is your tactical vote. First vote yeah. with your heart, second vote with your head. You, if you want to vote to get rid of the mayoral system, then surely you just vote for you or Alistair, one one in front of the other, or the other way round, don't you? <sighs> yeah, I suppose so. But then, then there's who do you want to actually be mayor as well? I suppose. <laughs> well, yeah, it's well. a three years bit, isn't it? it? Is yeah. Okay, it's it is complicated. It is complicated. Yeah. Okay, question from Labour candidate Marvin Rees and current mayor. You have said you want a metro mayor. And mm-hmm. the Bristol mayor is not relevant. What mm-hmm. do you say to the fact that the Bristol mayor spends one billion every year, while the Metro mayor's budget is one billion over thirty years? But yeah, but they don't. They don't need to have a mayor in that position. And the Wecker mayor can actually get more money from the government. I know Stephen Williams is kind of hankering after a lot more money, and he's quite sort of perplexed as to why Tim Bowles hasn't pulled in more money for infrastructure projects and it's the fact that that's money is spent across Bristol across the council you don't have to have a mayor in charge of that and when we had a leader and cabinet style before 2012 we were able to still spend that money we didn't need mayor to oversee it. Why is a metro mayor more democratic than a Bristol mayor for you or a city mayor? Well, they're not, they're not overruling the councils, so yeah. the councils are feeding into them. Do we know if they can overrule, though, Caroline? I was just thinking if there was a... I know transport is part of their remit for the Metro Mayor. So if they decided to build a, I don't know, huge mass transport system, an underground across the region, say whoever wins doesn't want an underground in Bristol, but the Metro Mayor and the council vote against it, but the Metro Mayor does, can they override it in the same way that the Bristol Mayor can override the council? in theory? I don't think so, because, I mean, when you think about it, the Metro Mayor was quite happy to have North Somerset join Wecker, yeah. but it was vetoed by Marvin Rees. And would that presumably, if you win, you would bring North Somerset in? Oh, yeah. Is that because more people vote Liberal Democrat in North Somerset? I think I think actually they, they vote Tory. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, I know it's Jake Reese Mogg, isn't it? In the but it isn't Bowles. Has Tim Bowles done a good job? He's been a bit invisible. I do like the scooters though. 
Yeah. Who's done a better <laughs> job out of Tim Bowles and Marvin Reese? Oh, that's a really difficult one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny as well neither, because they're, they're, they're almost polar opposites. You've yeah. got one person who's being entirely invisible and ineffective mm-hmm. and someone who's being extremely visible, but, yeah. you know, has well, done some things I, I and I, I know a lot of people are, are very happy with him but then he's failed to achieve on things like his housing targets um and I think when I looked at the the data I realized that in his best year and with George as well um neither of them even in their best year achieved what we did before we had the mayoral system in, in houses in the worst yeah year, in the- let's talk on let's talk on that then let's talk about what would you do because that is one of the um Sandy's come out quite bold and brave and brash and given sort of mm. big top headlines about what the Greens would do. What, what would you do? Well, we, we want definitely to allocate more land for new housing. We want to build more social housing. We want to um, look again at, you know, what happens when those houses get sold in the right to buy scheme as well? Because historically they're being sold off faster than they can be built which means the council's constantly playing, trying to play catch-up with yeah. its houses being sold off less than market value and then having to try and build some more. So I think we really need to look at that. And Scotland and Wales have suspended right-to-buy. And I know it's very popular, but in some ways I see it as not very equitable because you have to get to the top of that housing queue and be allocated that house before you can buy it. Um, and there's 14,000 people on the, on the waiting list. Yeah. Um, so we definitely want to build more houses um, and I'd like to, ideally to build good old fashioned proper council houses. Yeah. They, have they not built enough in, in Bristol? Definitely not. No. I mean, the uh, affordable housing, well, it's been somewhere between sort of 200 and 500 a year and that's affordable. So what about um uh, green technology retrofitting houses and we have this big mm. declaration of climate emergency yep. from from the mayor would you pick up the mantle from that thing and and you, how would you kind of how would you build on that uh definitely so definitely to the retrofitting it is very expensive but it's one of the things that we really need to do because we're obviously it's an enormous amount of money from householders that's yeah. wasted yeah. because the houses are not very well insulated. So, you know, people's heating bills are absolutely skyrocketing. And obviously it's bad for the climate as well. So obviously all the new houses that we built would be sustainable. I'm thinking even transport-wise, green-wise, you know, one of the biggest issues in Bristol has always been transport, mm. uh, getting A to B. But also now the difficulty is, is how do you marry that up with trying to reach net carbon zero? So do you have any grand ideas yeah, hydrogen buses and bus franchising so that we, we can take control of the the networks, take control over the timetables, the routes and the pricing with the franchising system. Into the local authority? Uh, no, it will still be a franchise. So you right. still would have uh, third party operators. But you have more control they would over have it, to, yeah. Yeah, they would have to pitch for the routes and, the, and we yeah. would have control over the routes and the fares, which is the system they have in London yeah. and which is the system that they're now talking about bringing in in Greater Manchester. And it's a system that all of the mayoral candidates are behind, but not the mayor, current mayor. Yeah. But it seems slightly odd why, as, a Labour, because... as a Labour 
party. Other Labour yeah. candidates. Yeah, in Andy Burnham. Andy oh, Burnham's doing it in um, yeah. up in uh, Greater Manchester, isn't he? Yeah. Protests as well. Obviously, Bristol protests have been all across the national press, mm-hmm. global global press in, in some regards. You, as a party, yourself and um, the Metro mayoral candidate, Stephen Williams, came out. I think you were the first people who came out with a joint statement. Yeah. You put that out before any other political party did, and you effectively have called for a police inquiry. Yeah, it was when I and was... And the Greens followed you quite quickly, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. I, the thing was, that you know, the, the first night, obviously, when we saw things like, you know, the police cars going up in flames, we were like, okay, you know, no violence, come on, we, we don't support that. Yeah. But then when it, it, it carried on for the, the next few nights, and then we started seeing film of people sitting on the floor being chopped at yeah. by by the riot shields and photographers having their, their cameras confiscated. And, um, can I read out your statement? I've got it here yeah. just so people to give this some context and then you, we can yeah. talk off the back of it. We recognise that the police were trying to handle a very difficult situation but fear they made some poor judgment calls. We have seen violence from a minority of protesters. However, the response by police officers was disproportionate and excessive, which is also unacceptable. We do not condone violence of any kind from either side and we question the necessity of moving people on when they were sitting down in the open air. There should be no reason mm. to attack protesters and certainly no reason to detain or lash out at journalists who were performing a vital democratic function in their reporting. When you put that out initially, do you feel that there was the sort of public support from Bristol to that initially? Yeah, I mean, generally, we had a couple of criticisms, yeah. but most people thought that we'd hit the right note. Was that put out after the Sunday night at College Green or was that after the initial... No, no. Was... So after the initial thing yeah. where we had the fire, yeah. we'd all just put out a very simple statement saying we don't condone violence. Yeah. And I think Stephen and I had both said the the police and crime bill is draconian, but we don't condone violence. We support the right of peaceful protest. So this was the evolving situation, yeah. For this, sure. this statement was put out after a few days later with the evolving situation. The reason I've read it is because it is a real contrast to what the mayor put out, who didn't really condemn the police at all or mention journalists. Well, I did wonder what had happened because the policing that had been on the Sunday night when... You know, they'd all been lined up outside the station and then there'd been the fire had seemed to be very, um, you know, it seemed like they were just being there and they weren't really doing anything. Later on in the week, it seemed they were actively trying to clear people away and move people away. And then when people were refusing to move, then they were using these chop tactics. And I was quite shocked because I'd never seen that chopping no. tactic that's the chopping with the riot shield itself, with the riot shields it? yeah which, which, which Randy Marsh has actually come out and said that is a legitimate uh, riot tactic well if people yeah. are rioting but yeah. if they're sitting on the floor yeah. how is it legitimate yeah good I, question yeah yeah I, I I'm sorry yeah, I don't get that and also you know after the first night we were told that police officers had been injured and they were in hospital and one had a punctured lung and then it turned out that that wasn't true yeah and later on in the week, we found out that 
um, the demonstrators, a lot of demonstrators, has ended up in hospital with some really quite nasty contusions. Are you calling for a police inquiry like the Greens are? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'd quite like someone to actually be sitting down and sort of saying, police officers who actually chopped at people, you know, what was going through your mind at that point? Did you think you were in danger? And that's why you chopped at these people. Right. Let's just talk a little about the Liberal Democrats in general. And obviously, at one point, you go back to the, the sort of glory days of Paddy Ashdown and, and around that kind of period, the Liberal Democrats were making huge ground in the southwest and in the west then you obviously went into coalition and i think the whole tuition fees stuff kind of a lot of young people felt let down by the liberal democrats mm. how, how, how can you convince a young person listening you know how can you win back their trust for them to vote liberal democrat well i'd say uh, the tuition thing is is very difficult i left the party over it um oh I really did- Okay. Yeah, I did feel very strongly about it. Um, and I didn't rejoin until after the Brexit vote. Um, yeah. And so how are you going to persuade kids from working class backgrounds when they're already up against maybe being the first person in their family to go to university if their parents are looking at this thing and going, well, you know, you're going to be saddling yourself with £50,000 worth of debt. No, there's yeah. no point doing it. Yeah. Certainly. And broadening from that in, in general, do you feel that going into coalition around that kind of period of lots of austerity politics, kind of in the short term, obviously, it was a taste of, of, of power. And I'm sure that most Liberal Democrat politicians that were in the kind of inner circle of power wanted to shift and create more change than perhaps they were allowed to do and I don't think people give enough credit for that that to a certain degree you're kind of hamstrung as as a minority party but do you think it kind of damaged the brand of the Liberal Democrats and made them a bit toxic for some voters and and in many regards you're still recovering from that now oh yeah definitely we do get it all the time I think the reasoning behind it at the time was that we just had the financial crisis and we needed a strong government. And, and I, you know, I, I kind of had had bought into that at the time. Yeah. And the reasoning behind some of the, the, the decisions that were made was because the utmost party policy had been to try and get proportional representation. Yeah. And, you know, I do feel like, David Cameron had us over a barrel because, you know, gave up on on the tuition fees thing for a, a vote on the alternative voting system, which, you know, yeah, yeah. exactly. I, th- I think we gave away, yeah, far too much for too little. They, you know, they tried to do a, a few kind of tricks. I mean, I remember hearing uh, somebody from the Lib Dems talking about the, uh, the, the student tuition fees and basically saying they tried to set it up so that, a lot of a lot of the fees would never actually get paid back yeah. so that they did in fact become a grant because if you were earning below a certain amount you'd never you'd never pay them back but it's just the fact that people have this hanging around them that they worry about and really we should have just introduced a graduate tax back to bristol my question is around and i don't think george really realized this marvin probably had more of an inkling having seen what george went through but perhaps hasn't realised it as much until you're in that role. 
if you do win, are you prepared for the level of oh, scrutiny? Is the wrong word. The level of focus of pressure of you know every time you tweet, there's sort of twenty messages after you that are, you you know often negative and derogatory. Are, are you ready and prepared for that? Um. Yeah, I think there's a reason why Marvin has a bunch of people managing his Twitter. <laughs> certainly, yeah. it's it's yeah. interesting because certainly I'm getting things, I'm getting emails and stuff coming through from people now, and you still, I have got some people questioning me, and and that, you know sometimes I just think, well, okay, I'll engage because I've got an answer to that, but I guess there comes a point where you're just getting too many and you can't answer them all. And and if they're derogatory, it's probably best just not to yeah. to engage anyway, because you're just going to get into a Twitter spat. And no one ever comes out of a Twitter spat looking good. No. And I've kind of observed or noticed that so there is a a small contingent of the fiercest critics of, of Marvin, of, of the mayor, uh, on Twitter. You seem to be, and I don't know if that's a strategy or that just kind of is because certain interests are aligned. You seem to be in that little bubble a little bit i wouldn't name who they are but there's a kind of well-known you know i would say about half a dozen twitter accounts is that yeah why is that um i think they might have been just the people who engaged me right at the beginning yeah um and i think the thing is i haven't got that many twitter followers (laughs) so i'm not that well known yet um and mary did similar in fairness mary was was also yeah. kind of ingratiated in that group a bit i just I, I guess there's some people would see them as i'm sure they see themselves as this holding power to a greater level of scrutiny than journalists do and really kind of unrevel other people would see them as just being a, obsessive trolls if you win the likelihood is you will attract maybe not that group another group of people that will be on your case all the time um I just have to, you know, you get that. You you can't. I just, let me say, you can't respond to absolutely everything, especially if you're going to get hundreds of them every day. Yeah. You know, so I. Did you do I'd your probably, Cox voice? You could do your Cox voice. On I Twitter could do my Cox in voice. In capital letters. No, I could just kind of shout shout back at them. Oi. Uh, I, I'm going to let you go, Caroline. Thank you ever so much. And thank you very much. Lovely. Thanks, Caroline. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's it from Dr Caroline Gooch, the Liberal Democrat candidate for Bristol Mayor. On next week's show, we talk to the Labour candidate, current Mayor Marvin Rees. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs, and a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.